Mark 13, uh, we've come as far as verse 8. Um, as Jesus was leaving the temple at the beginning of the chapter, the magnificent buildings were pointed out to him, and and uh, Jesus says, not one stone is going to be left upon another, it won't be thrown down. And so the couple of his, uh, well, several of his disciples asked him, say, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled? And the first thing he responds to him with is, uh, take heed that no one deceives you, because many are going to come in my name and they'll deceive many. And then he said, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled, for such things must happen, but the end is not yet. And then we come to where we had left off, where he says, for nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be earthquakes in various places. And there will be famines and troubles. These are the beginnings of sorrows. From wars and rumors of war that tend to be continual, we come to major conflicts involving nations and kingdoms. Nation uh, in the Greek is ethnos, where we get our term ethnic groups. So it's a tribe, a nation, a people group. Nations have historically tended to be of the same ethnicity, with the exception of the melting pot of the U.S. But now we have nations of mixed ethnic backgrounds, especially with the mass refugee movements from the Middle East. And we see internal national conflicts among various ethnic groups, as well as nations of one ethnic makeup against others of a different ethnos. Some areas of France and England, and perhaps other countries, have so-called no-go zones where even the police refrain from entering due to ethnic hostilities. Free and open borders are not a recipe for peace and safety. All of this polarization, George Rivka says, and ethnic warfare which the media feed upon and incite is the work of the enemy as he stirs up the sinful nature of men. How foolish we are to side up as ethnos against ethnos when we are all one blood. This is only the work of the devil, appealing to the sinful nature of man who is so easily deceived. External characteristics may be unique, but the human heart is the same. We all need what only God can give through Christ Jesus. He's the only hope of all mankind. As Christians, we are an ethnic group. We are a tribe or people group within whatever society we may live. Many ethnicities have been called out and become, have become one ethnicity in Christ, where walls are broken down and unity is established in the Holy Spirit. Over in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verse 1, Paul writing says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So the, the Holy Spirit unites us as He dwells within us. And the only thing we have to do is maintain that unity in the bond of peace. In Second Corinthians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, Paul writes and says, Now whom, I, whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. And he's talking about that situation in 1 Corinthians 5, uh, where... Now, there was some immorality in the body, and they were, you know, 
pretty much going along with it. And so they had taken Paul's admonitions and they had dealt with this situation. But Paul says, hey, it's time to forgive now. And we presume there's repentance taking place in that situation. Whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. And uh, his favorite thing to do is to bring division and discord within the ethnos group of believers. In Galatians 3.28, Paul tells them, uh, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And also in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 11, he says, There is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. So he's removed all those borders. Ephesians 2, he talks about breaking down the wall of partition between the Jew and the Gentile. And he has made this one people group. It's called his church, right? Ecclesia, the called out ones. And so he's called us out. And we, we are our own ethnos. But when sin is indulged in, sinful ethnicity impacts the church. Believers must stand together against all that attempts to bring internal division of the body of Christ. Now, in our modern age, we've seen nation against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And for the first time, we have had wars that are designated as world wars. In previous ages, we had kingdom against kingdom. We'd see France versus England. And they had the Hundred Years' War. We saw England versus Spain, and they had the great sea battles, the armadas, and you know, the, the fights at, at sea. And then during the Middle Ages, there was much war between the Islamic Arab nations and the Christian European nations. And you had the, uh, the era when the Crusades were being carried on and the, the uh, Turks and the other Muslims were seeking to move in and take over Europe, basically. Now, that could have been called a world war because that pretty much encompassed you know, much of the world there when that was taking place. Well, Jesus also speaks in verse 8 here of earthquakes in a lot of different places, and he speaks of famines and troubles. Most famines have been caused by disastrous government policies in our era. Um, Earthquakes, the word earthquakes is the Greek seismos. And, you know, we get seismic from that. And the word means the quaking of the earth or the air. It can be either one, so like a tempest, tornado, hurricane type thing. And while earthquakes, tornadoes, hurricanes, etc. have always taken place, we know much more, much sooner than ever before in history when these events occur. The population of the earth is much greater and in more places than in the past, and so casualties tend to be greater as well with these natural disasters. Historically, we know of some major disasters, the uh, Mount Vesuvius eruption and the burying of Pompeii, you know, and they've, they've been over there, they've excavated and found the remains of Pompeii and the people who didn't get away. Um, interestingly, in some of the volcanic ash or the pumice, <clears throat> what was there has disintegrated 
and left cavities, and they can actually at times fill a cavity with um, some kind of plaster or something, and then they can actually see what state this thing or person was in. You know. um, historically, also 1883, there was the uh, eruption Krakatoa. Are you familiar with Krakatoa and the events that took place there? That one. That <laughs> That's probably the, the greatest eruption until the more recent one that we just we've just seen. But this one was more devastating. Um, it created a year. It was known as the year without a summer, because so much volcanic ash and dust filled the atmosphere and went around the world. It lowered global temperatures by 32 degrees on average, and it took several years for it to return to normal. About five years to return to normal. Um, climate. It created tsunamis, which you know, wiped out vast areas. And you know, we have some eyewitness accounts of ships that were at sea, you know, in those areas, and they they saw it, and it could be heard. I, I don't. I didn't write down how far it could be heard. It was like halfway around the world. You know, they'd hear this this explosion. Well, even pardon. 1883 was the Krakatoa. But even further back, we have an earthquake in the days of King Uzziah uh, in Judah that was so severe that people dated events by how long it had been since the earthquake. You know, in Amos chapter 1 and verse 1, uh, when he's introducing his prophet, prophetic voice, I guess, it says, The words of Amos, who was among the sheep breeders of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. So Amos not only, you know, dates it from the time since the earthquake, but he's saying, I, the word of the Lord came to me two years before the earthquake. So I don't think he wrote this before the earthquake. You know, he was a prophet. So he could have said that, but no, that that's not the case. I think... As he began to write what the Lord had given him, he said, oh, this time period, this was two years before the earthquake. In Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 5, uh, speaking of the second coming of Jesus, he's speaking to the Jewish people and he says in verse 5, you shall flee through my mountain valley. This is when the Mount of Olives splits half toward the north, half toward the south. And he says, you shall flee as you fled home. For the mountain valley shall reach to Azal. Yes, you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Thus the Lord my God will come and all the saints with you. So this earthquake in the days of Uzziah was, was vast and powerful. And everyone remembered it. At least the, the history and the stories of it. However, most disasters would go unrecorded and unreported before modern times. Now we have greater world news coverage and faster dissemination of the news. We have technologies to track earthquakes that have only been invented in modern times. The U.S. Geologic Survey site tracks earthquakes of all magnitudes and casualty estimates. And you can go to their, their website and it's, there's so much there it's hard to find stuff. Actually, but they'll you know they'll give recent earthquakes and their magnitude and and where they were and and they're around the globe you know earthquakes in diverse places. Uh, just in the first decade of this century, there were some some major uh, events with with earthquakes and and uh, 
well, this is related to earthquakes itself, 2004, Sumatra, which is part of Indonesia, there was a 9.1 Richter earthquake with a tsunami. There were 230,000 killed, and there were a million people missing. Imagine that. That'd be, you know, an event around the world, that'd be a good coverage for rapture, wouldn't it? You know, a lot of people were unaccounted for anyway. It's like, oh, they're gone. And, uh, you know, Tim and I were talking earlier this week about the, you know, the fact that the devil has been preparing explanations to cover the rapture for some time now through occult means, like the UFO, the ufologists that hear from these ascended masters, you know, they're saying, well, you know, at some point all the troublesome people are going to be taken away. So it's always the bad people that are gone. You know, and they're going to be taken away to a planet, and they're going to be, you know, they're not going to be harmed. They're just going to be re-educated to where they understand, and they can come back. You know, and the same way with uh, seances and the occult, you get those same kind of kind of messages. Well, this uh, Sumatra quake. There was a there's a movie. It's pretty interesting. I I don't remember the rating or if there was a lot of offensive things in it. I tend to forget those things. <laughs> But it was called The Impossible. If you want to look that up and see about possibly checking it out. But it was a record of the tsunami that came into Thailand. And so there's this American family and they're uh, on vacation there. And they're there when this tsunami comes in. And they they get separated on different places. I think it's a parents, a son, and a daughter. Ewan McGregor and uh, Naomi Watts star in it. Um, and it's just the story of this family and, of course, the disaster all around. And then the impossible because they all end up surviving and, you know, being reunited and so forth. So. In 2010, there was an earthquake in Haiti and 300,000 people died. 2010. I don't, I don't remember that that well, you know. And then in that first decade of this century, there were five other Major earthquakes, and they reported casualties from 18,000 to 86,000 among those five. So the, uh, a greater earthly population results in more casualties when these things take place. And we think, boy, those people are really wicked, you know, that the Lord would do that to them, right? But uh, when they came and asked Jesus about the guys who had, Pilate had mingled their blood with their sacrifices, he said, you think these guys were worse than everybody else because this happened? No, but unless you repent, you'll likewise perish. And then he's talking about the Tower of Siloam that fell. Unless you repent, you know. Well, recently we had an undersea volcanic eruption. It was in the last couple of weeks. Uh, and it was near Tonga. You may have seen that. There were tsunami warnings out. And I saw some of the waves coming in on the California coast, you know, on this, you know, Tonga, it's out in the far Pacific. They had a tsunami warning for Hawaii. I don't know if anything happened there in New Zealand. Um, but the waves, you know, by the time they got to California, it wasn't a huge tsunami. It was it was small. And the reason it probably had, will have a lot less effect than, say, Krakatoa is because it was underwater. It was on the ocean floor. Uh, when this volcano erupted on the ocean floor, and you, you can see uh, images of it on the internet as well. And you, I mean, 
this is an image from space, and all of a sudden you get this bloom here in this one part of the globe, you know, that it's, it's enormous. Well, it's one of the largest blasts ever recorded on seismic instruments. This one near Tonga, the shock wave from the blast was so powerful that it was detected as far away as Antarctica, says Ronan Labraz, a geophysicist with the Comprehensive Nuclear Test Ban Treaty Organization in Vienna. You know, they track any time there's a nuclear explosion. And, you know, the magnitude of that, and they're, they're trying to keep people from testing these things all the time. And so they picked it up. Uh, he was, he's in Vienna, Austria, which oversees an international network of remote monitoring stations. In total, 53 detectors around planet Earth heard the low-frequency boom from the explosion as it traveled through the atmosphere. It's the loudest event in the, that the network had detected in more than 20 years of operation, according to Lebras. He says every single station picked it up. It's the biggest thing that we've ever seen. And um, Margaret Campbell Brown, a physicist at the University of Western Ontario in Canada who uses infrasound to study meteors as they enter the atmosphere, says she thinks it was at least as large as the 50 megaton Soviet test in 1961. And that's the largest blast that has been uh, done by men testing nuclear weapons. A very rough back-of-the-envelope calculation suggests that the energy was around 50 megatons, says Campbell Brown. We haven't done the real analysis that it would need, but it doesn't seem like it would be smaller. And because it was underwater, you don't have the massive dust clouds and ash clouds, you know, that you would get with a uh, above-ground or above-sea tornado or tor hurricane, no, volcano. I get all these things mixed up. Well, these things that we've been talking about, starting with wars and rooms of wars and going through earthquakes, famines, pestilences, uh, Jesus speaks of these as the beginnings of sorrows. That's the term he uses, the beginning of. That's an introduction to the worst events to follow, culminating in the massive calamitous events spelled out in the book of Revelation. Sorrows, the word for sorrows is birth pangs. Beginning indicates preliminary birth pangs, perhaps even some false labor as people misunderstand the times and the things that are taking place. But like Jesus says, you hear wars and rumors, the end is not yet. Don't be troubled. Do not be troubled. The end is not yet. So we can misunderstand and, and you know, we're seeing... False labor pains. The word in the Greek is odin. It's the pain of childbirth, travail pain, birth pangs, intolerable anguish in reference to the dire calamities that precede the advent of the Messiah. The coming great tribulation period is being spoken of here that will come upon the entire world. In Revelation 3.10, Jesus speaking to the church in Philadelphia says, because you've kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. This is going to be of such a magnitude that the entire world is going to be involved. 
And Jesus tells them, I'll keep you from the hour. He doesn't say, I'll keep you from the trial. I'll keep you from that hour trial. You know, and this is a, I believe it's a reference to the deliverance of the church in the rapture. So this period will come upon the world, but particularly Israel. And it's called the time of Jacob's trouble because of this. It's compared to men being afflicted with birth pains. In Jeremiah chapter 30, Jeremiah speaks of this time. He says, For thus says the Lord, We have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Ask now and see, he says, whether a man is ever in labor with child. I guess that would be confusing for people, some people today when they who say that he, they can be. But he's saying, No, a man cannot be in labor with child. And he says, But why do I see every man with his hands on his loins like a woman in labor? And all faces turn pale. Alas, he says, for that day is great so that none is like it. And that's just what Jesus says. You know, it's going to be a time of trouble. It has never been and never will be. It's going to be the worst time of trouble upon the earth. That day is great so none is like it. And it is the time of Jacob's trouble. It's focused upon Israel. It's the last seven years of that 490 year period we talked about in Daniel chapter 9. And that's determined upon, uh, Daniel is told, your people and your holy city. It's Israel and Jerusalem. And so as we go through this discourse later, we'll see that Jesus is focusing upon that part of the world. It's going to affect the whole world, but the purpose is for Israel. And in verse 8, he says, It shall come to pass in that day, still in Jeremiah 30, says the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from your neck and will burst your bonds. Foreigners shall no, long, no more enslave them, but they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. So this is at the conclusion of this time of, of Jacob's trouble is being spoken of. If we look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, now, Paul speaks to them of this time also. He says in verse 1, Concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. You can't. You know, you women who have been pregnant and had children, you can't escape, right? When it comes, that's it. And he's comparing this time to that time of a woman having birth pains, right? But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. We wouldn't expect to experience birth pains. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep at, sleep at night and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath. So he's, he's making a distinction here between the sudden destruction that's going to come, and they won't escape, and he says, but God did not appoint us to wrath. This is the time of the outpouring of God's wrath. But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing, it says. Back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, uh, Paul commending them says that the other places they go, they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. This is a reference to that wrath that's going to be poured out. And Jesus is the one who delivers us from that wrath to come. So birth pangs increase in frequency and intensity as the time of birth approaches. Through the centuries, these phenomena we've been talking about have been mild pains compared to the times that are coming. Those who study these phenomena like earthquakes, famines, and pestilences scientifically, they sometimes deny that there's an increase in frequency or intensity in their occurrence. Now, they got their statistics. Uh, And in our time, this may seem to be true statistically. But as mentioned, the birth pains will become intensive labor during the tribulation period. There's a notable fairly recent exception to those who say there's been no increase in these birth pains uh, in the secular world. And it's among those who demand a response to what they call the life exterminating crisis of climate change. I just saw the other day one of our popular Hollywood actors has stated that we literally have nine years to solve this or, you know, and so it's a new deadline. I mean, if you if you want to, you can go back and you can find the previous deadlines and we should have been dead like ten times over by now. The planet should have been in, uninhabitable and... Uh, you know, this is just a, a denial of what God says. It's, a, it's an ignorance of his word. Because Genesis 8.22, uh, after the flood, God says, While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. So he's going to be taking care of that situation. So for these folks who emphasize climate change, every storm or natural cataclysm is caused by mankind's abuse of the environment and such things are becoming worse and worse because man is continuing to pump all that CO2, which actually is good for the planet, into the atmosphere. They're intent on saving the planet, which God will destroy by fire even if their solution means destroying or reducing the population of mankind by billions. Some of them think the human population should not exceed 500,000. And uh, Charlie was just seeing something in reference to that yesterday, I think. Many of them consider mankind a virus upon the planet. Mankind is the only part of the natural world that is considered unnatural. Go figure, if you can. But it still seems in their viewpoint, that mankind is considered special, even if it's in a negative sense. And we know that mankind is the only part of creation created and made in God's image and likeness. 
We are also the only part of creation capable of rebelling against his lordship, and that is what will bring judgment upon the whole world. Mankind's solutions, whatever they might be to the exterminating crisis, whatever they perceive that to be, will be ineffective in delivering them from the wrath to come. When uh, the Israelites were worshiping idols, at a certain point in our Thursday night studies where we're going through that, at a certain point, God says, call out to your idols. Let them rescue you. And that's exactly what our, the situation is we're seeing today. And the end... They won't be rescued. They can't rescue it unless they turn to the Lord Jesus. So, they won't be able to escape from the wrath to come. That escape can only be found in Christ Jesus. And that is our task. To rescue as many as possible before the end by proclaiming the saving gospel of the grace of God. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Let them save the world that God is intent on destroying for a new world. We have eternally more important business to be about. I think so many Christians get caught up in these save-whatever movements and we're neglecting something far more important in doing that. As Jesus said to one guy, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. Luke 9.60 But these beginnings of sorrows will ramp up significantly in frequency and intensity during the seven-year tribulation period. And that's the period of time Jesus is referring to. Uh, I I think I compared it to the water breaking in labor. You know, once the tribulation period arrives, the water breaks, the the real intense uh, birth pains begin. It's a new age being born. The earth is going to be giving birth. Well, the Lord's going to be giving birth to to a new world and a new age. This is the end of the age that we're approaching. Conflicts of nations, quaking of the earth and wind, volcanic eruptions, famines and pestilences. The great tribulation is when the birth pains become serious precursors of the birth of a new age and the ruins of the old. This will be the time of significant increases in the frequency and especially the intensity of these birth pains. We see this in the book of Revelation. In Revelation 16 and verse 17, the seventh angel pours out his bowl, the seven bowl judgments, into the air, and a, and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. This is during that tribulation period. It's, you know, whatever earthquakes we were aware of now or in the past, there's there's not going to be anything to compare with this earthquake that's going to uh, 
it's going to affect the entire world. He says, now the great city was divided into three parts. And that would be Jerusalem. And the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Then every island fled away and the mountains were not found. Mountains are going to fall. And great hail from heaven fell upon men. There's some shake, quaking of the, the wind. Each hailstone about the weight of a talent, which is 75 to 100 pounds, depending on the measurement of a talent. So those are some big hailstones. I don't think you'd be able to buy another car. <laughs> Men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, since that hail, that plague was exceedingly great. And plague is a word that can cover natural, or well, God disasters. They're natural disasters that are created by the um, the men of God who can bring them about. Um, but it also can refer to diseases and pestilences. In Revelation chapter 6, verses 5 and 6, it says, When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. So I looked. Behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, which is a day's wage. Three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. So we're talking famine. Not very much food, and you have, you have to pay it. Each day you would have to give all your wages just to get enough to sustain your life. And the oil and the wine are luxury items, so there's going to be that elite class of people who... Until God brings it to a severe end, they're going to be doing okay. Uh, Revelation 16, verses 1 and 2, he says, I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. So the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. So we get pestilence, disease coming upon those that have Rejected God. Revelation 6, verses 7 and 8. He opened the fourth seal. I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And the name of him who sat on it was Death. And Hades followed with him. And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. And by death is... is can be also be that word of plague. So, fourth of the earth, population decimated at this point. War, famine, plagues, beasts of the earth. Now, Revelation 18.8, Therefore, her plague, speaking of Babylon, will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord who judges her. Plagues and famine. And then Revelation chapter 11, verse 6, these two witnesses that come on the scene, says, These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy, and they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. So this is birth pains increasing and intensity, frequency. The world will grow darker. 
It is rapidly becoming so now, but the contrast with the light bearers, that is, believers, will become more and more clear. And because of this, we'll actually see what he speaks about later in Mark 13, 13, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. That is, those believers who are alive on the earth at that time be hated for all for his name's sake, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. Believers will be hated by all. Hatred of believers in Jesus is ramping up around the world, including the nations that were formerly culturally Christian in makeup, like our own. This world is not my home. I'm only passing through. And, you know, if you're comfortable in this world, you're going to become uncomfortable. (laughs) It's going to be pushing you out. The church in America has been at home in the world. I don't think God will allow that to continue. Now, we've talked at various times since quite a few of us are getting older about how aging has tended to wean us from the world, but how much more the hostility of the unbelieving world come quickly. Jesus. If you're a Christian who is at home in the world, if you experience birth pangs, God's purpose is to deliver from the world and into a full embrace of his kingdom. Over in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 12 through 17, Paul tells us, All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you've learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood, speaking to Timothy, you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And then he says, all Scriptures given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, as teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So the importance of being in His Word, but if we allow our light to shine, we're going to be experiencing the wrath of the world. Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-5, through 5, he says, Know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Come on, Paul, tell us what you really want to say. (laughs) Having a form of godliness, but denying its power, and from such people turn away. Now, the U.S. is just as religious as as it has ever been, but she has changed her God among the majority of the people. In Jeremiah chapter 2, he's he's speaking to Israel and he says in verse 9, I will yet bring charges against you, says the Lord, and against your children's children I will bring charges. For pass beyond the coast of Cyprus and see, send to Kedar and consider diligently and see if there has been such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods, which are not gods, 
But my people have changed their glory for what does not profit. Be astonished, O heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, says the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. America has changed her God, and many nations have. Matthew 24.12, part of this discourse uh, later on, Jesus states, Because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. So people will be turning away and hating one another and abusing one another and robbing one another and killing one another. So it's important that we continue in the ways of the Lord, that we not become discouraged and give up or allow our love for the Lord or our love for one another to lose its fervency. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, Peter speaking to them in their day says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. And Second Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. As Jesus told us here in, in verse 7, Do not be troubled. He hasn't given us a spirit to be fearful, but power, love, a sound mind. And that's for us in this day and in this society. So I want to um, assure you that we are not going to be going through this discourse one verse verse at a time. There will be sections where it will be much faster, but this is just how it happened to turn out this (laughs) last couple of weeks. So So you can read ahead. You know, we'll get there eventually, wherever it is. 